Story nineteen of Christmas Stories by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story nineteen Mugby Junction, Part one. Chapter one Barbuck's Brothers. One Guard, what place is this? Mugby Junction, sir. A windy place. Yes, it mostly is, sir, and looks comfortless indeed yes it generally does sir is it rainy night still pours sir open the door i'll get out you'll have sir said the guard glistening with drops of wet and looking at the tearful face of his watch by the light of his lantern as the traveller descended three minutes here more i think for i am not going on thought you had a through ticket sir so i have but i shall sacrifice the rest of it i want my luggage please to come to the van and point it out sir be good enough to look very sharp sir not a moment to spare the guard hurried to the luggage van and the traveller hurried after him the guard got into it and the traveller looked into it those two large black portmanteaus in the corner where your light shines those are mine name upon them sir barbox brothers stand clear sir if you please one two right lamp waved signal lights ahead already changing shriek from engine train gone mugby junction said the traveller pulling up the woollen muffler around his throat with both hands at past three o'clock of a tempestuous morning so he spoke to himself there was no one else to speak to perhaps though there had been any one else to speak to he would have preferred to speak to himself speaking to himself he spoke to a man within five years of fifty either way who had turned grey too soon like a neglected fire a man of pondering habit brooding carriage of the head and suppressed internal voice a man with many indications on him of having been much alone he stood unnoticed on the dreary platform except by the rain and by the wind those two vigilant assailants made a rush at him very well said he yielding it signifies nothing to me to what quarter i turn my face thus at mugby junction at half-past three o'clock of a tempestuous morning the traveller went where the weather drove him not but what he could make a stand when he was so minded for coming to the end of the roofed shelter it is of considerable extent at mugby junction and looking out upon the dark night with a yet darker spirit-wing of storm beating its wild way through it he faced about and held his own as ruggedly in the difficult direction as he had held it in the easier one thus with a steady step the traveller went up and down up and down up and down seeking nothing and finding it a place replete with shadowy shapes this mugby junction in the black hours of the four-and-twenty mysterious goods trains covered with palls and gliding on like vast weird funerals conveying themselves guiltily away from the presence of the few lighted lamps as if their freight had come to a secret and unlawful end half miles of coal pursuing in a detective manner following when they lead stopping when they stop backing when they back red-hot embers showering out upon the ground down this dark avenue and down the other as if torturing fires were being raked clear 
concurrently shrieks and groans and grinds invading the ear as if the tortured were at the height of their suffering iron-barred cages full of cattle jangling by midway the drooping beasts with horns entangled eyes frozen with terror and mouths too at least they have long icicles or what seems so hanging from their lips unknown languages in the air conspiring in red green and white characters an earthquake accompanied with thunder and lightning going up express to london now all quiet all rusty wind and rain in possession lamps extinguished mugby junction dead and indistinct with its robe drawn over its head like caesar now too as the belated traveller plodded up and down a shadowy train went by him in the gloom which was no other than the train of a life from whatsoever intangible deep cutting or dark tunnel it emerged here it came unsummoned and unannounced stealing upon him and passing away into obscurity here mournfully went by a child who had never had a childhood or known a parent inseparable from a youth with a bitter sense of his namelessness coupled to a man the enforced business of whose best years had been distasteful and oppressive linked to an ungrateful friend dragging after him a woman once beloved attendant with many a clank and wrench were lumbering cares dark meditations huge dim disappointments monotonous years a long jarring line of the discords of a solitary and unhappy existence yours sir the traveller recalled his eyes from the waste into which they had been staring and fell back a step or so under the abruptness and perhaps the chance appropriateness of the question oh my thoughts were not here for the moment yes yes those two portmanteaus are mine are you a porter on porter's wages sir but i am lamps the traveller looked a little confused who did you say you are lamps sir showing an oily cloth on his hand as further explanation surely surely is there any hotel or tavern here not exactly here sir there is a refreshment room here but lamps with a mighty serious look gave his head a warning roll that plainly added but it's a blessed circumstance for you that it's not open you couldn't recommend it i see if it was available ask your pardon sir if it was open it ain't my place as a paid servant of the company to give my opinion on any of the company's topics he pronounced it more like toothpicks beyond lamp isle and cottons returned lamps in a confidential tone but speaking as a man i wouldn't recommend my father if he was to come to life again to go and try how he'd be treated at the refreshment room not speaking as a man no i would not the traveller nodded conviction i suppose i can put up in the town there is a town here for the traveller though a stay-at-home compared with most travellers had been like many others carried on the steam winds and the iron tides through that junction before without having ever as one might say gone ashore there oh yes there's a town sir anyways there's town enough to put up in but following the glance of the other at his luggage this is a very dead time of the night with us sir the deadest time i might almost call it our deadest and buriedest time 
no porters about well sir you see returned lamps confidential again they in general goes off with the gas that's how it is and they seem to have overlooked you through your walking to the further end of the platform but in about twelve minutes or so she may be up who may be up the three forty two sir she comes off in a siding till the up x passes and then she here an air of hopeful vagueness pervaded lamps does all as lays in her power i doubt if i comprehend the arrangement i doubt if anybody do sir she's a parliamentary sir and you see a parliamentary or a skirmishin do you mean an excursion that's it sir a parliamentary or a skirmishin she mostly does go off into a sidin but when she can get a chance she's whistled out of it and she's whistled up into doing all as lamps again wore the air of a highly sanguine man who hoped for the best all as lays in her power he then explained that porters on duty being required to be in attendance on the parliamentary matron in question would doubtless turn up with the gas in the meantime if the gentleman would not very much object to the smell of lamp oil and would accept the warmth of his little room the gentleman being by this time very cold instantly closed with the proposal a greasy little cabin it was suggestive to the sense of smell of a cabin in a whaler but there was a bright fire burning in its rusty grate and on the floor there stood a wooden stand of newly trimmed and lighted lamps ready for carriage service they made a bright show and their light and the warmth accounted for the popularity of the room as borne witness to by many impressions of velveteen trousers on a form by the fire and many rounded smears and smudges of stooping velveteen shoulders on the adjacent wall various untidy shelves accommodated a quantity of lamps and oil-cans and also a fragrant collection of what looked like the pocket-handkerchiefs of the whole lamp family as barbox brothers so to call the traveller on the warranty of his luggage took his seat upon the form and warmed his now ungloved hands at the fire he glanced aside at a little deal desk much blotched with ink which his elbow touched upon it were some scraps of coarse paper and a superannuated steel pen in very reduced and gritty circumstances from glancing at the scraps of paper he turned involuntarily to his host and said with some roughness why are you never a poet man lamps had certainly not the conventional appearance of one as he stood modestly rubbing his squab nose with the handkerchief so exceedingly oily that he might have been in the act of mistaking himself for one of his charges he was a spare man of about the barbox brothers time of life with his features whimsically drawn upward as if they were attracted by the roots of his hair he had a peculiarly shining transparent complexion probably occasioned by constant oleaginous application and his attractive hair being cut short and being grizzled and standing straight up on end as if it in its turn were attracted by some invisible magnet above it the top of his head was not very unlike a lamp-wick but to be sure it's no business of mine said barbox brothers that was an impertinent observation on my part be what you like some people sir remarked lamps in a tone of apology are sometimes what they don't like 
nobody knows that better than i do sighed the other i have been what i don't like all my life when i first took sir resumed lamps to composing little comic songs like barbox brothers eyed him with great disfavour to composing little comic songs like and what was more hard to singing em afterwards said lamps it went against the grain at that time it did indeed something that was not all oil here shining in lamps eyes barbox brothers withdrew his own a little disconcerted looked at the fire and put a foot on the top bar why did you do it then he asked after a short pause abruptly enough but in a softer tone if you didn't want to do it why did you do it where did you sing them public house to which mr lamps returned the curious reply bedside at this moment while the traveller looked at him for elucidation mugby junction started suddenly trembled violently and opened its gas eyes she's got up lamps announced excited what lays in her power is sometimes more and sometimes less but it's laid in her power to get up to-night by george the legend barbox brothers in large white letters on two black surfaces was very soon afterwards trundling on a truck through a silent street and when the owner of the legend had shivered on the pavement half an hour what time the porter's knocks at the inn door knocked up the whole town first and the inn last he groped his way into the close air of a shut-up house and so groped between the sheets of a shut-up bed that seemed to have been expressly refrigerated for him when last made two you remember me young jackson what do i remember if not you you are my first remembrance it was you who told me that was my name it was you who told me that on every twentieth of december my life had a penitential anniversary in it called a birthday i suppose the last communication was truer than the first what am i like young jackson you are like a blight all through the year to me you hard-lined thin-lipped repressive changeless woman with a wax mask on you are like the devil to me most of all when you teach me religious things for you make me abhor them you remember me mr young jackson in another voice from another quarter most gratefully sir you were the ray of hope and prospering ambition in my life when i attended your course i believed that i should come to be a great healer and i felt almost happy even though i was still the one boarder in the house with that horrible mask and ate and drank in silence and constraint with the mask before me every day as i had done every 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 day through my school time and from my earliest recollection what am i like mr young jackson you are like a superior being to me you are like nature beginning to reveal herself to me i hear you again as one of the hushed crowd of young men kindling under the power of your presence and knowledge and you bring into my eyes the only exultant tears that ever stood in them you remember me mr young jackson in a grating voice from quite another quarter too well you made your ghostly appearance in my life one day and announced that its course was to be suddenly and wholly changed you showed me which was my wearisome seat in the galley of barbox brothers 
when they were if they ever were is unknown to me there was nothing of them but the name when i bent to the oar you told me what i was to do and what to be paid you told me afterwards at intervals of years when i was to sign for the firm when i became a partner when i became the firm i know no more of it or of myself what am i like mr young jackson you are like my father i sometimes think you are hard enough and cold enough so to have brought up an acknowledged son i see your scanty figure your close brown suit and your tight brown wig but you too wear a wax mask to your death you never by a chance remove it never by a chance falls off and i know no more of you throughout this dialogue the traveller spoke to himself at his window in the morning as he had spoken to himself at the junction overnight and as he had then looked in the darkness a man who had turned grey too soon like a neglected fire so he now looked in the sunlight an ashier grey like a fire which the brightness of the sun put out the firm of barbox brothers had been some offshoot or irregular branch of the public notary and bill-broking tree it had gained for itself a griping reputation before the days of young jackson and the reputation had stuck to it and to him as he had imperceptibly come into possession of the dim den up in the corner of a court off lombard street on whose grimy windows the inscription barbox brothers had for many long years daily interposed itself between him and the sky so he had insensibly found himself a personage held in chronic distrust whom it was essential to screw tight to every transaction in which he engaged whose word was never to be taken without his attested bond whom all dealers openly set up guards and wards against this character had come upon him through no act of his own it was as if the original barbox had stretched himself down upon the office floor and had thither caused to be conveyed young jackson in his sleep and had there effected a metempsychosis an exchange of persons with him the discovery aided in its turn by the deceit of the only woman he had ever loved and the deceit of the only friend he had ever made who eloped from him to be married together the discovery so followed up completed what his earliest rearing had begun he shrank abashed within the form of barbox and lifted up his head and heart no more but he did at last effect one great release in his condition he broke the oar he had plied so long and he scuttled and sank the galley he prevented the gradual retirement of an old conventional business from him by taking the initiative and retiring from it with enough to live on though after all with not too much he obliterated the firm of barbox brothers from the pages of the post-office directory and the face of the earth leaving nothing of it but its name on two portmanteaus for one must have some name in going about for people to pick up he explained to mugby high street through the inn window and that name at least was real once whereas young jackson not to mention its being a sadly satirical misnomer for old jackson 
he took up his hat and walked out just in time to see passing along on the opposite side of the way a velveteen man carrying his day's dinner in a small bundle that might have been larger without suspicion of gluttony and pelting away towards the junction at a great pace there's lamps said barbox brothers and by the by ridiculous surely that a man so serious so self-contained and not yet three days emancipated from a routine of drudgery should stand rubbing his chin in the street in a brown study about comic songs bedside said barbox brothers testily sings them at the bedside why at the bedside unless he goes to bed drunk does i shouldn't wonder but it's no business of mine let me see mugby junction mugby junction where shall i go next as it came into my head last night when i woke from an uneasy sleep in the carriage and found myself here i can go anywhere from here where shall i go i'll go and look at the junction by daylight there's no hurry and i may like the look of one line better than another but there were so many lines gazing down upon them from a bridge at the junction it was as if the concentrating companies formed a great industrial exhibition of the works of extraordinary ground spiders that spun iron and then so many of the lines went such wonderful ways so crossing and curving among one another that the eye lost them and then some of them appeared to start with the fixed intention of going five hundred miles and all of a sudden gave it up at an insignificant barrier or turned off into a workshop and then others like intoxicated men went a little way very straight and surprisingly slewed round and came back again and then others were so chock-full of trucks of coal others were so blocked with trucks of casks others were so gorged with trucks of ballast others were so set apart for wheeled objects like immense iron cotton reels while others were so bright and clear and others were so delivered over to rust and ashes and idle wheelbarrow out of work with their legs in the air looking much like their masters on strike that there was no beginning middle or end to the bewilderment barbox brothers stood puzzled on the bridge passing his right hand across the lines on his forehead which multiplied while he looked down as if the railway lines were getting themselves photographed on that sensitive plate then was heard a distant ringing of bells and blowing of whistles then puppet-looking heads of men popped out of boxes in perspective and popped in again then prodigious wooden razors set up on end began shaving the atmosphere then several locomotive engines in several directions began to scream and be agitated then along one avenue a train came in then along another two trains appeared that didn't come in but stopped without then bits of trains broke off then a struggling horse became involved with them then the locomotive shared the bits of trains and ran away with the whole i have not made my next move much clearer by this no hurry no need to make up my mind to-day or to-morrow nor yet the day after i'll take a walk it fell out somehow perhaps he meant it should that the walk tended to the platform at which he had alighted and to lamps room but lamps was not in his room 
a pair of velveteen shoulders were adapting themselves to one of the impressions on the wall by lamps's fireplace but otherwise the room was void in passing back to get out of the station again he learnt the cause of this vacancy by catching sight of lamps on the opposite side of railway skipping along the top of a train from carriage to carriage and catching lighted namesakes thrown up to him by a coadjutor he is busy he has not much time for composing or singing comic songs this morning i take it the direction he pursued now was into the country keeping very near to the side of one great line of railway and within easy view of others i have half a mind he said glancing around to settle the question from this point by saying i'll take this set of rails or that or t'other and stick to it they separate themselves from the confusion out here and go their ways ascending a gentle hill of some extent he came to a few cottages there looking about him as a very reserved man might who had never looked about him in his life before he saw some six or eight young children come merrily trooping and whooping from one of the cottages and disperse but not until they had all turned at the little garden gate and kissed their hands to a face at the upper window a low window enough although the upper for the cottage had but a story of one room above the ground now that the children should do this was nothing but that they should do this to a face lying on the sill of the open window turned towards them in a horizontal position and apparently only a face was something noticeable he looked up at the window again could only see a very fragile though a very bright face lying on one cheek on the window-sill the delicate smiling face of a girl or woman framed in long bright brown hair round which was tied a light blue band or fillet passing under the chin he walked on turned back passed the window again shyly glanced up again no change he struck off by a winding branch road at the top of the hill which he must otherwise have descended kept the cottages in view worked his way round at a distance so as to come out once more into the main road and be obliged to pass the cottages again the face still lay on the window-sill but not so much inclined towards him and now there were a pair of delicate hands too they had the action of performing on some musical instrument and yet it produced no sound that reached his ear mugby junction must be the maddest place in england said barbox brothers pursuing his way down the hill the first thing i find here is a railway porter who composes comic songs to sing at his bedside the second thing i find here is a face and a pair of hands playing a musical instrument that don't play End of story 19 part 1